So first thing, why did you choose this path, you know, of the Theravada monastic path? Um, what was it about this that resonated with you? And um, yeah, if you want to give us any other information about your journey so far, and then we can get the ball rolling. First of all, I was uh, interested in resolving the danger of life. And I had the idea that the danger of life, namely old age, sickness, death, I had the idea that maybe if I have psychic powers, I could reduce it. I could somehow resolve or at least reduce the danger uh, of uh, people uh, killing me or harming me or doing bad things to me. So I studied uh, magic in various books. I read a lot of books about history of magic. And I'm here talking about like uh, really whatever you can imagine as magic in the Middle Ages and in the ancient times. And that's what I mean by magic. And at that time, there was no Harry Potter yet, or uh, it was still starting and I didn't know about Harry Potter yet. And I uh, wanted to have powers that could protect me from uh, not knowing something that I should know and uh, from uh, being too vulnerable to the suffering of the world. So I studied books about magic and uh, in one book uh, there was written that the Buddhist monks have the greatest psychic powers. It was actually described in detail. So from that book I decided that I should read books about Buddhism and become a Buddhist monk. So I actually didn't start by being a Buddhist, by wanting to, by uh, appreciating Buddhism uh, or the Buddha's teachings. I started by the desire to become a Buddhist monk. And uh, then it, uh, it went, you know, the, the other way, the opposite way. So usually people first like Buddhism, then they decide to become a Buddhist, and then they maybe decide to become a Buddhist monk. But I had it, I had it totally opposite. Mm -hmm. I first wanted to become a Buddhist monk, then uh, I was absolutely sure that, I, uh, that I'm a Buddhist, and then I started to really appreciate uh, Buddhism. So uh, from this book about um, Buddhist monks, I started to read a book about Buddhism, a, a book about basic Buddhism, it was, I think, uh, the translation of uh, Walpola uh, Rahula's uh, mm -hmm. Now I don't remember the name of the book. The Word of the Buddha. Uh, it's a very famous book, actually. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a shame that I don't remember its name. Mm -hmm. So uh, the author is Walpola Rahula. And uh, there is a Czech translation, so I read it in, in the Czech language. And there I uh, got answers to my two big questions. I had two questions that I started to ask myself somewhere starting from my uh, age of five, maybe uh, age of 10, 
somewhere around that time, I started to ask myself two questions that I really wanted to find answer for. First question was, who am I or what am I? What is this I? When people say soul, when they say self, what is, what is it? And the second question was, the second question was, uh, why is there a difference between people's success and uh, people's health? Why are some people more successful, some people less successful, some people uh, more healthy, living longer time, some people less healthy, living shorter time? So these were my two questions. What is this I and why are people different in their success and health and life? Mm. And this book answered both of them. And it answered uh, these two questions in such a way that immediately I accepted those answers and I was delighted by those answers. Mm -hmm. So the first answer, what am I or who am I, is that I doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And this resonated with me so much. I thought, of course, that's exactly the answer that I'm searching for. <laughs> I didn't have, I didn't know that answer. I would never imagine that answer. Yeah. It was the book that gave me the answer, but I accepted it and appreciated it immediately as I saw it. And the second uh, answer, uh, the answer for the second question was that we are different because of the actions that we did in the past. That also very much resonated with me. I thought this exactly makes sense. So uh, people are successful because they did something good in the past. People are not successful because they didn't do something good in the past. People uh, live long because they were, um, we could simplify to say, because they were kinder in the past. People live short, a shorter time or they are not so healthy uh, because they were not so kind in the past. So this is uh, what uh, took me to the path of Buddhism. But from the book itself, you do not exactly, I think the book doesn't exactly uh, explain what is Theravada and why Theravada uh, would be different from Mahayana or any other, uh, any other Buddhist school. For that, I had to wait three years. For three years, I didn't have any friend, anyone um, in the real world. Online, I had two people in Sri Lanka, but in the real world, I didn't know anyone who would follow the Buddha's teachings or even want to follow the Buddha's teachings or even read about the Buddha's teachings or even know anything at all about the Buddha's teachings uh, through you know, their enthusiasm for it. Mm -hmm. We studied about the Buddha's teachings at school because I studied at the Catholic high school. But uh, you know, learning Buddhism from, uh, from a Christian is something different from learning it from a Buddhist. Yeah. So for three years, I didn't know any Buddhist. And after three years, I thought, uh, I really need to become a monk. This is enough. I need to go. At that time, I was 18 years old. And I didn't know how to find a monastery. 
So I went online. At that time, online uh, reality started in the Czech Republic. Uh, that, that was the time when online uh, world gradually started to grow in the Czech Republic, but still it was very, uh, very much in its uh, nappies, so to say. And uh, so I searched Buddhist monastery in Czech Republic. And I found a Zen Buddhist monastery. So I wrote an email to the Zen Buddhist monastery. Uh, Hello, I'm so and so. I would like to become a monk in your monastery. Is that possible? And they said, are you sure you want to become a monk in the Zen uh, tradition? And I replied, well, Theravada would be better, but it doesn't matter. Can you can I please become a monk in your monastery? And they said, well, then uh, it's better if instead you contact a Theravada Buddhist monk who is Czech in Sri Lanka. So they uh, sent my email to that Theravada Buddhist monk uh, in Sri Lanka. And then he resent it to 10 of his students in the Czech Republic. Uh, many of them uh, were a monk in Sri Lanka in the past, but they became lay people and returned here. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they invited, uh, then um, uh, three of them invited me to their homes in uh, in the in the eastern part of the country. And so I traveled there and I learned from them about meditation, about monkhood about the Buddhist community in the Czech Republic, about the Theravada Buddhist community. And from there on, uh, the path really started. Mm. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, I can't imagine there's too many Czech Theravada monks, right? Actually, now in the Czech Republic, uh, there's only me. (laughs) But uh, there are some more uh, in Slovakia, in Sri Lanka, there might be uh, in Britain, mm-hmm. um, they're scattered all around the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the beauty of the Dhamma is there's no locality tied to it now. It's it's a worldwide um, phenomena. It's kind of like, a, it's almost like we're slowly morphing into this worldwide Sangha, thanks to the internet. You know, and thanks to this kind of technology, we can access the Buddha's teachings from anywhere. Uh, as long as you have some kind of basic, you know, smartphone, some kind of technology, it's a beautiful time to be alive in terms of being able to soak in the Dhamma. Um, thanks to people like you, of course. So, um, yeah, is it is it inevitable for somebody following the Eightfold Path appropriately to find themselves living as a monastic? Is this just kind of how it falls in place? You mean like if someone follows the... I see. Now I understood. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I don't think so. In the Buddha's time, there are many people who became even fully enlightened and they didn't become monk until then. Oh. They would become monks after they became fully enlightened. But until then, uh, they would practice, they would come to a monastery, meditate, or uh, they would meditate themselves, or they would listen to Dhamma, but uh, they were not monastics at all, but they became enlightened uh, while 
while they meditated while they were still lay people. Mm. That's interesting. So I want to go back to your two questions, the who am I? And what was the other one? It was um, the difference uh, among people, the differences. Exactly. So to someone that doesn't really know any better, that may seem a little contradictory, because if you if one can realize that there is no self, yet there is also some kind of, I don't even know if, what the word would be, but there's also some kind of constant that is reincarnating, like some kind, you know, we're reaping our karma. How do those mesh? If there is no self fundamentally, then what is what self is being reincarnated per se? I think this question is better asked um, about something that we already now experience. You know, um, hopefully, ideally, we are not going to die at this moment. But according to Buddhism, we actually already die at this moment. And we can look at the death that is happening at this moment, because that's what we are experiencing now. And it's easier to understand it on something that we're experiencing now, rather on something that we will probably, hopefully for many, uh, not experience uh, after uh, many, many years. So according to Buddhism, there is nothing that lasts longer than incredibly uh, tiny, tiny, short uh, moment. And uh, the body uh, is made up of things that arise and pass every, every single moment. And the mind also arises and passes every moment. And uh, therefore, there is nothing that passes over uh, this time length. So nothing passes longer or stays longer than uh, a very, very short moment. And if I say very, very short moment, we're talking here about millions, billionths of a second. So those are very, very short moments. That's the, we could say this is the Buddhist philosophy of, uh, of the matter and mind. So uh, if indeed, if it is absolutely true that both the mind and the body do not last longer than these tiny little short moments, then that means that every tiny, every tiny little short moment, we are dead. Hmm. Because there is nothing else that could pass uh, According to the Buddhist philosophy, there is nothing beyond the body and mind. There's nothing else. There's just this body and the mind. Body, feelings, perceptions, intentions, and consciousness. Now, when I say intentions, uh, this is one way of saying the word. Many people use the word volitions or formations, but I have found out that English-speaking people have no idea what that means. So I use the word intentions, which is the closest to mm -hmm. something that is true. So the momentary reality can be explained based on causes and effects. And again, we do not have to wait until we die to think about that. We can uh, think about it right now, right here. And that is actually the purpose of meditation. We meditate so that we see the causes and effects right now, right here. Because if we accept not we don't have to accept them. We first have to see them and through that we accept them. When we see them and we accept them, because many people have the problem to accept them on the 
to accept them in real. So they will say, yes, I accept them. Yes, I believe them. But their life doesn't change according to that uh, belief, according to their acceptance. So they still continue to be greedy and hating, even though they accept that everything is impermanent and satisfactory. Not so. So the real acceptance here means enlightenment. And we have four levels of enlightenment. And that itself means four levels of the acceptance of the impermanence of this arising passing. Mm -hmm. So the question that you asked is basically, how do you become enlightened? The fact of, uh, of this dying every moment without any permanent self between those moments that could carry these moments or anything at all from one moment to another, that uh, understanding is, uh, is enlightenment in Buddhism. Mm, wow. So uh, we can look at the present moment and we can look at it in the body, in the mind, through observing them in their natural, um, in their natural states, in their natural behavior, in their nature. And as we observe this body with its change, with its re repulsive nature, uh, with its um, form and um, its connection to, to the surrounding, to the environment, and with its basis in the matter, with its causes and effects, and with its danger, we can realize that really there is nothing that we could uh, that we could rely on in this body because the body is really different. I have read somewhere online that the according to the modern science, every five years, all of this body is entirely new, is entirely different. So this body gradually changes mutates sometimes it mutates in the way we want sometimes it doesn't mutate the way we want uh, that's where uh, diseases uh, serious unpleasant diseases start and this body gradually mutates throughout our life think about how did this body look when we were born um, at the time at the moment when we were born how does it look now and how it probably will look uh, like after 40 years, 50 years, if we still live at that time. Very different, actually. It may, there may be a lot of similarities, but physically, in the ultimate sense, uh, there, will be not, there will not be a single cell that will be the same. There will be totally different cells. So that's what I mean, that our body mutates. It's extremely important that our body mutates and that it changes changes. As soon as it stops to change, then we start to have diseases. And those are very unpleasant diseases when the body stops to um, recreate. So uh, old skin falls off the skin, new skin appears, old uh, surface of the bones, the layer is gradually scraped off and new one appears. And it's not just the layer, but everything about all of these parts in the body needs to be replaced. But uh, because it is not replaced exactly by the same thing what was before there, I call it mutation. Oh, well, I like that a lot. That was, that was a really good explanation. Then regarding the mind, 
we can observe that this mind actually is just arising and passing moments. For that, you will need to, you will need to sharpen the mindfulness. Mindfulness is the ability of the mind to observe itself or the body. But we can observe mind by mindfulness. It's a characteristic of the mind. So there is a possibility to observe itself for the mind because the mind has that quality, not because it would be some other mind. So there is a modern uh, misconception that you would need to have some other mind to observe your present moment. But that's not exactly what the Buddha expects from us. If in fact, if in fact, we can see from the Buddha's instruction that we are gradually, gradually led to train ourselves in observing the present moment and not the past moment or the future moment. So when the Buddha teaches monks to, uh, to observe their postures, that's uh, one of the first basic instructions given by a starting monk from the Buddha, he asks the, asks the, the monk, to observe that he is sitting when he is sitting. He asks the monk to observe that he is walking when he is walking, not uh, that he would ask the monk to observe that he's sitting when he's walking or that he's walking when he's sitting. Mm -hmm. You see, we are supposed to observe the present moment. Then the Buddha asks the monk to observe his activities during those activities. A monk is observing his wearing robes during the time when he's wearing robes. He's observing his talking when at the time when he's talking. He's observing that he's silent at the time when he's silent. He's observing uh, bending his hand uh, or flexing his hand uh, and uh, straightening, uh, you know, uh, bending, flexing his, his hand mm -hmm. uh, at the time when that happens, not after it finished. So we are led from the very beginning to observe the present moment. It's extremely important and very, very difficult to understand, even by very highly educated and seriously meditating monks. Mm. It's a problem. It's a mm. problem. We do not observe past or future. We observe the present moment. Yeah. It's a problem among monks and meditation teachers because some say observe what happened before. Some say observe what happened now. So we need to look at the Buddha's teachings and we will soon understand. It's extremely difficult to realize impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, not self. If you observe the past moment, it is yeah. much easier to understand if you observe the present moment. Mm. So the Buddha then teaches the monk to observe his breath. When do I observe my breathing in? When I start breathing out? Certainly not. The Buddha explained very clearly, and I think this is exactly the pointer, you know, because the Buddha, it seems like, why does, why does the Buddha explain this obvious thing in so many words? He could just mm -hmm. say, observe your breath, right? Mm -hmm. What did he say? Observe your breathing in when you are breathing in, observe your breathing out when you are breathing out. Why did he have to say that? <laughs> and I believe this is exactly because of these people who want to observe their past, something in the past, they would like to observe their breathing out when they're breathing in and breathing in when they're breathing out. So I think that's why the Buddha said it. So we observe the present moment. When I'm breathing in, I observe breathing in. When I'm breathing out, I observe breathing out. 
Mm -hmm. So in the same way, we observe the mind. So when there is unpleasant feeling, I observe the unpleasant feeling at the time when I have unpleasant feeling, not when I have pleasant feeling. I observe pleasant feeling when I have pleasant feeling. I, I observe neither pleasant nor unpleasant feeling when I have neither pleasant nor unpleasant feeling. We observe our greed when we have greed. We observe our hatred when we have hatred. We observe our seeing when we have seeing. We observe our hearing when we have hearing. We observe uh, our uh, mindfulness at the time when we are mindful. We observe our uh, joy when we have joy. So we observe those mental phenomena at the moment when they happen. And therefore, we can realize the arising passing of the mental moments at the time of arising passing of those moments. Of course, if there is only one stream of mind, it cannot happen that one moment will observe that itself one moment. I'm still answering your question. Hopefully, hopefully you're uh, I'm following. You are following with me. Yes. <laughs> so think of the mindfulness as uh, moments that interlace with the moments which the mindfulness is observing. Mm. So you would have mindfulness moment, for example, you would be observing, uh, for example, you would be observing your unpleasant feeling. So you would have moment of mindfulness, unpleasant feeling, moment of mindfulness, unpleasant feeling, Mom moment of mindfulness, unpleasant feeling, moment of mindfulness, unpleasant feeling. They would interlace like that. They would alternate. And as they alternate, the experience is that they happen at the same time, that you are mindful of your unpleasant feeling. And in the explanation by moments, in the ultimate explanation, they uh, interlace, they uh, alternate. So this way we observe the present moment. It's extremely important. When we see the, uh, the present moment, we can gradually come closer and closer to these moments. And we can finally observe that all of our cognition, all of our consciousness is made up of moments. Probably we will not see a billion moments arising, passing every second. According to some commentary, sub-commentaries, only the Buddha can see all of those. Sorry. But we can at least see groups of those arising passing moments mm. and that's more than enough as soon as you see that everything that we experience everything that we think we are are actually these arising passing moments then that's all what you need to realize that self is an illusion that everything are just causes and effects and it is in the present moment so you do not have to wait until we die to observe it there can observe it here right here and now and when we see that then we have a choice we can either uh, get scared and think but if i don't exist then where is my degree where is my fame if i have a family where is my family where are my friends then uh, who will dance who will sing if i don't exist mm -hmm. who will enjoy the delicious meal or who will look at a wonderful movie or whatever so then some people, they get scared and they take their self back mm -hmm. when they see that it's an illusion through clear uh, observing that 
there is only this arising passing of moments, then they get scared, they take their idea of self back and they stop meditating. Mm. We have that even mentioned in our scriptures. And uh, some people, uh, if they are ready for that, and this would be a longer uh, talk on how to get ready for that, uh, they let go of this illusion and they accept it. Indeed, it is true. Self is an illusion. Reality is just arising, passing of moments, causes and, and impersonal causes and effects. Mm -hmm. And when they realize that, they achieve enlightenment. So mm -hmm. uh, at that moment, not only that you understand the uh, how there is not self and still you can live and remember what happened in the past and be seemingly the same person but you also can immediately with that you understand also what is reborn to the next life so to the next life is not reborn a person or a human but there are just effects that bring there are just causes that bring effects in the next life Think about it a little bit like um, I really don't like when people explain Buddhism by science, but that's exactly what I'm going to do. <laughs> uh, now, think about it like in quantum physics, uh, it has been found that if you, if you um, do something uh, with uh, certain uh, elementary particles and they split, the, the particles, they do not split, but the particles... Uh, well, one particle with another, they split, and they can be any distance at all. But whatever change you you um, you effectuate, whatever change happens to one of those particles, exactly that change will happen to the other particle, regardless where they are in the space. Even if they are 100,000 light years far away, if you change this particle, then that particle will also change. So far, it seems there is no real explanation for this phenomenon. And I will now make use of it and I will explain how does the cause and effect happen. We are used to track cause and effect across the time and across the space. So um, we could uh, give the simile like somebody is calling you on the phone, you can pick up the phone, but uh, the person is far away and you're far away. So how come that you actually could uh, receive the signal? But we can actually track it and we can exactly say what's going on all the way from the start, from the start until the end. In the cause and effect, however, we cannot. It seems that the cause and effect that they are separated by the nature of the world, probably in the similar unexplainable nature um, that we can, uh, that physicists can observe in uh, the elementary particles. So there will be a cause, for example, somebody will give a donation or somebody will meditate. Let's say somebody will give a donation. Uh, they will see a poor man, they will give the poor man something to eat, uh, or uh, they will give uh, a present to their parents. And then in the future, let's say in the next life, after 100 years, after 1000 years, they will become very rich or they will become very successful. It doesn't have to be after 1000 years, it can be immediately after 
they are, give the generous gift miraculously they become very successful in their uh, in their job in whatever they do and the connection doesn't seem to be traceable so you cannot trace the action and the consequence for me i believe that we do not need to track it Mm -hmm. That's just the nature of the world. You do something, there is a uh, cause, and there will be an effect at the moment when the conditions appear. Mm. So um, like the particles, like the elementary particles, uh, do not seem to be connected in the space. In that same way, the cause and effect would not be connected in time. So they are Mm. seemingly disconnected in time. Wow, that was a really good answer to that question. Um, Wow. Yeah, you explained it. Yeah, I understand now. That was great. So, you know, you just explained uh, pretty much a glimpse into stream entry, right? Um, You can, one can exit this idea and kind of, you know, shoo it away like all these four levels are, are they they're not constant levels that someone is at right someone could get to level three we'll say and then say you know what no i'm going back into the the illusion of maya and, and you know just kind of forgetting what i learned is that is that possible yeah from uh stream entry no more but uh, until then when you know it in this theoretical way then of course yes you can hmm because it's about personal uh, experience of the things, how, uh, how they are. Until you experience them yourself in your body, in your mind, then it's just theory. It's just something that you heard. Mm. Wow. Yeah. <sighs> that was great. We have three, three levels of understanding. We have mm. the so-called Sutta Maya Panya, Chinta maya panya, and then we have bhavana maya panya. Panya means wisdom. Maya means that it's created by something. And that something is different in the three levels. So sutta maya panya means the wisdom created by what you have heard. So sutta means what you have heard. Maya means created by. Panya is wisdom. So it's the wisdom that you get through hearing something, through reading things, through listening, through talking. That's the first level of wisdom. And the second level, which is more difficult and more refined, is the wisdom that you get through thinking. So you think about things and then you realize that. You realize, uh, for example, when you learn statistics or mathematics or biology or whatever, and you realize something. And then there is bhavana maya panya. For us, of course, mathematics, biology are not exactly what we are studying as monks, but it's part of the, it's interestingly, it's actually part of our development. Uh, For us, mostly what's important to realize are the four noble truths and three characteristics, uh, impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, not self. So, at the level of bhavana maya panya, bhavana means development, but in this, uh, in this context, it means meditation. So you can realize the impermanence, you can realize the cause and effect 
through meditation to the uh, deepest, to the most refined level. So when you hear things, you can realize those things, but again, you will realize them only to the level of hearing them. Then when you think about them, you consider them, you try to understand them, and finally you really realize them. Excellent. That's the second level. And then you need to meditate, you need to observe your body and the mind. And at that point, you can realize them to the deepest level. Mm. And that would be the stream entry. Mm -hmm. That would be not just stream entry. Stream entry is uh, not difficult. You can, uh, from stream entry, you can fairly easily move on to once return. So if anyone thinks that they're stream enter, please do not be too too proud of yourself. Just continue <laughs> meditating. Continue <laughs> meditating. You can be a once returner very soon. And mm -hmm. uh, after once return, um, many people, are, however, get stuck. So because it's very difficult from once return to move to non-return, there is a big difference because uh, a non-returner is entirely forever losing all of their lust and hatred. And that is nothing easy. So mm. uh, it is good to uh, it is good to realize that uh, the understanding of impermanence and satisfactoriness not self is very very difficult very deep and uh, it's not enough to just hear about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What is that grant you the um, you know the understanding of not self? That may seem harrowing to somebody that has no idea what we're talking about, right? They're like, what? I don't exist? What does that mean? So what is that? If you could explain to somebody that doesn't know any better, what does that grant your psyche? You know, what does that grant for you as a human mm -hmm. incarnation? Mm -hmm. Most importantly, it provides you with another angle uh, with another viewpoint uh, for uh, our experience. For, it gives me another viewpoint, another understanding of my life and of the things that happen around me. For the Buddha, the main, um, the main aim of understanding not-self is the eradication of greed, hatred, and ignorance. So for the Buddha, it was extremely important that as we meditate, and as we uh, gain insight, we uh, stop or reduce uh, our evil. We reduce our evil thoughts. We reduce our evil speech, our evil actions. So this is the main point, and this is uh, where this helps the most. So as I realize that there is uh, really no self, that everything is just causes and effects, it is easier for me to deal with difficulties uh, without anger or with little anger, mm -hmm. uh, without greed or with little greed. So this is the most this is the most important point uh, for me. That's mm -hmm. what it uh, grants me. Yeah, I see. Is it freeing of the egotistical tendencies of the mind. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. That's great. Is nirvana, because, you know, we, okay, so let me back backpedal a little bit. We reincarnate as um, other sentient beings as well. Like I could be a bird in the next life, right? Yes. Is nirvana 
only possible in the human form? You know, is this human experience something that we should not take for granted? Something that is very special and uh, almost sacred, per se? In our scriptures, uh, we will see mostly mentions of enlightenment among humans and deities, the beings that enjoy their pleasures in heavens. I like to call them gods because people understand the word God and they do not understand the word deity. But uh, I think it's the same thing. The little problem with the word God uh, is that um, you should not imagine gods like the Greek gods or yeah. like the Roman gods because the Greek gods and the Roman gods, they kill, they, um, they curse, uh, they can be pretty rude. Uh, on the other hand, the Buddhist gods are uh, the opposite. So the Buddhist gods, according to an Abhidhamma book, Buddhist gods always follow the five precepts. So they never kill, never steal, never commit adultery, never tell lies, never drink alcohol. Um, on the other hand, the Roman and Greek gods, they, they do all or most of all these things. Yes. So uh, that, that would be the main difference. But uh, the, other, uh, the other characteristics, uh, such as long life and pleasure and living in heaven, uh, those would be similar or the same. So uh, the Buddhist gods, they can understand the Buddha's teachings and become enlightened. Many enlightened beings, if they do not achieve full enlightenment during this life as humans, uh, they're born in heaven and they continue in their practice, not as meditating people, but they can speak about uh, the Buddha's teachings. And because of their uh, mental acuity, uh, their um, enhanced wit, uh, they can very quickly understand the Buddha's teachings. So uh, instead of meditating, because uh, gods really do not meditate, uh, although Hindu gods do, Buddhist gods don't, uh, so uh, Buddhist gods uh, do have so uh, much intelligence, their intelligence is so high that meditation is uh, really not necessary. It doesn't mean that they cannot sit down and meditate, they actually can and we have, we have uh, mentioned that um, a monk as he was meditating, he suddenly died and he was immediately born in heaven. But he was born so fast we do not believe in interim life, you know, in Theravada, you die and immediately you're born somewhere else. Mm -hmm. You do not have like life in between. We, we don't have that in Theravada. And he was immediately born in heaven. And immediately as he was born in heaven, we, he was born there so immediately that he didn't even know that he's born in heaven. He didn't mm -hmm. even know that he died. He mm -hmm. was born there just so quickly, so fast that he didn't notice anything at all. He's just continuing to meditate. And as he continued to meditate, he, uh, the ladies, you know, of the heaven, they started to come and they were dancing in front of him uh, and uh, they were making noise, you know, as they were dancing. And he's like, what's this disturbance? I want to meditate. <laughs> so uh, then uh, the ladies, they told him, uh, well, you're in heaven, you should dance with us. And he says, what, what happened? And they say, you're a god. Look at that. They brought him a mirror and they say, look at that. You're, you're a god. Mm. And he's like, what? I'm not a monk. I want to be a monk. <laughs> so 
So he thought, uh, what's this suffering? Such a such a trouble, you know. These ladies uh, uh, asking me to go and uh, dance with them. <laughs> so uh, so he by his psychic powers, because all of all gods have uh, psychic powers. They're a basis of the of the nature of a of a godly nature. And uh, he immediately uh, searched where is the Buddha? What happened? And he found that there's still the Buddha in the monastery. So he disappeared from the heaven and he appeared in front of the Buddha. And he says, oh, Buddha, I was born in heaven. But for me, these ladies, they look like ogres. And the beautiful sound, the beautiful music, that sounds to me like very unpleasant noise. And the Buddha explained to the monk uh, the Dhamma. He taught him the Four Noble Truths and... Uh, Fortunately, he became enlightened on the spot. Mm. So uh, as he became enlightened, uh, he was fairly satisfied and he returned to the heaven. <laughs> wow. so, uh, so here you can see that um, in heaven, it is possible for gods, it is possible to become enlightened. Very, uh, very, it is possible to become enlightened, but not by meditation, even though they can meditate, they would usually not meditate because they just hear the words uh, and they immediately understand. Mm -hmm. Lay people, of course, sometimes uh, heard uh, teachings from the Buddha and they also became uh, enlightened right as they were listening, but that is understood as extremely rare and many monks in Myanmar believe that today that's not possible anymore. So today we really need to meditate to become enlightened. So gods can become enlightened. Brahmas, those are like higher, uh, higher gods, they can become enlightened. But animals cannot. It is believed that animals are born as animals because they did, uh, they did not something, they didn't do something very well in their past life. So they're born as animals for, for the time being. You need to remember that in the animal realm, there are a lot of troubles. Many people would love to be born as animals. Did you know that? Yeah. There are people who, would, who think, uh, oh my God, uh, oh my dog, <laughs> no, my God, <laughs> oh my dog is enjoying so many pleasures in my home. I would like to be born like, uh, like my dog and yeah. enjoy those pleasures. Mm -hmm. There are many problems with uh, the animal life, which I think are fairly obvious. So I don't understand how could people, you know, wish to be born as animals. For example, if the animals is sick, uh, then it's very hard for the animal to show its sickness. And think about the freedom of we are just talking about the dog that enjoys the most pleasures at home. We're not talking about uh, dogs on the street. Yeah. Uh, a dog that enjoys pleasures at home doesn't enjoy one very important pleasure and that is freedom the mm -hmm. dog cannot just go anywhere it wants it cannot come anywhere it wants it cannot pee anywhere it wants it cannot defecate anywhere it wants and it needs to listen what can you imagine what people can do to achieve freedom so that nobody dictates them and think about being born as a dog that not only that the dog does not have a freedom because it's 100% dictated, you know, by the dictator, the Lord, mm -hmm. but at the same time, the dog cannot do anything against that. Yeah. It cannot even say that it doesn't like it. Yeah. At least humans under dictatorship, and you need to know that I, uh, that I, 
scampered away from dictatorship Myanmar uh, in August last year. Mm-hmm. So uh, I I know how it how it goes. So uh, the dog cannot even say it. At least people can say it, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But dog cannot even say it. So it's really not wise idea to be born as an animal. So we understand animal life as something, as a rather a punishment for not really uh, good deeds in the past life. So this animal, animals cannot understand the Buddha's teachings. But there are very interesting stories. And uh, I like particularly the parrot story from the commentary to the Satipatthana Sutta. There is a, a story about parrot, and the idea with the parrot is that the parrot actually understands what you tell it. So some people may find it funny, but it's in the scriptures. Maybe it will inspire you, maybe not. <laughs> so monks in a monastery, they had a parrot, and they had this fantastic idea that they will teach the parrot to meditate. So. Uh, they got the parrot, they brought some bones uh, of a dead parrot, and they brought those bones to the parrot and they asked the parrot to, to parrot, to repeat. Bones, 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 bones. So the parrot was repeating bones, bones, and it was watching uh, the bones of another dead parrot. And uh, the, this is a meditation practice for monks. This is what monks are supposed to do. Monks should watch bones of a dead human and think bones, 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 bones. And then they have to realize that their bones uh, have the similar nature, that gradually they get broken and they perish. So this way we understand the impermanence of this body and gradually reduce uh, attachment to it. So, So one day an eagle came or uh, a kite, I think it was a kite, came and it took the parrot to eat it. So the monks, they were running, uh, following the kite, and uh, they were clapping and screaming, you know, to scare the kite so that the kite releases the parrot. And finally, the kite really got scared and it released the parrot. So parrot was saved, and then comes a part which is a little bit difficult to to accept. But anyway, it's the story. The monks asked the parrot a question. Dear parrot, when the kite grabbed you, what did you think? <laughs> and the parrot answered. It said, I did, I thought bones 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 (laughs) so uh you can see that a parrot can also meditate Uh, i uh, saw um, uh, one somewhat famous uh, american uh, buddhist meditator Uh, he has some uh, a little course on uh, meditation and psychology in youtube i don't remember his name Uh, and uh, he showed a video of his dog meditating that that was very cute they can meditate, indeed, but uh, we believe that their faculties, that means their faith, energy, mindfulness, uh, concentration, and wisdom, these we call them as the five faculties, the five abilities of the mind that are necessary, to, that need to be developed to become enlightened. So their faculties cannot get enough uh, 
developed, uh, they cannot develop to the level where they could become enlightened because of uh, that state, because of their being an animal. Yeah. The same way ghosts and beings in hell also, um, I don't think they can really meditate, but uh, they can try, uh, they can have some good thoughts, uh, but um, it will not help them to become enlightened at that time. They can, however, die from there, be born as humans, and become enlightened very soon, uh, very, uh, very easily, because of the practice they did in the past life. Mm -hmm. so for gods and beings in hell, that's, uh, um, that's a little bit difficult. But for animals, mm -hmm. uh, this is possible. I see. So it seems like being a human is, um, is tied to freedom. Contrary to popular belief, we have free will to free ourselves, essentially. Um, yeah, yes. that's what I like about Buddhism is, uh, you know, there's ghosts, there's gods, there's heaven, there's hell, just like any other doctrine that we have. But there's also, it seems like a step further. And, it's, and Buddha gives us a, a manual in a way to uh, to get out of the game if you want to get out. <laughs> you know, it has all of the cosmology as, as, you know, other belief systems. But, you know, what if you don't want to play the game anymore? And that's why Buddhism to me is something special. It's something much different from any other belief system that we have. Um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. I don't really have a question, but that's what it that's what it seems like to me. It's like it's the pinnacle of of, you know, what you can do with your life. Do, do you think that's an accurate representation? It's almost like a uh, a strategy guide for for living in this life and liberating ourselves from samsara. I mean, whether the Buddha's teachings is an accurate uh, uh, accurate like instruction how to get free from samsara. Yeah, would you say it is, putting it very basically, the Buddhist teachings are, they're like a manual to, for this game of life, you know, to free ourselves? Hmm. Um, certainly they are. Uh, the Buddha's teachings tries to provide you with a lot of instructions and ideas, but a manual to build up uh, a new fan or a manual to operate and uh, to operate um, uh, your um, earphones uh, I would say is more um, is more reliable because the Buddha's teachings is showing you all those possibilities think about uh, how many people are there in the world and how different they are in their dispositions and their abilities and their desires and expectations and environments and circumstances and uh, level of intelligence, level of faith, uh, their um, uh, society where they live. There are so many differences. And all of those differences matter on the path. So if you want to give a manual how to get free from the cycle of rebirth then yes buddhism probably provides is is the is the best solution but that's not enough you cannot think like okay so now i will follow the buddha's teachings and i have it 
Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. We would love to say that, you know, uh, but uh, practically we need to be practical and uh, and skeptical as well. Until you're skeptical and practical, then I don't think that you're really the Buddha's man, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. I think you really need to be more skeptical and look at the reality with, you know, from both views, from the positive view and from the negative view as well. Otherwise, it will be very hard to avoid uh, misconceptions and difficulties. We always need to be skeptical whenever I believe I need to be skeptical whenever I do whatever I'm doing. Otherwise, uh, you will be so enthusiastic and so optimistic that you go right the wrong side. So uh, instead, I like to try uh, to search if there are any other possible ways, if there's any better way. And it seems that there are so many ways within the Buddhist teachings, within Theravada teachings, that it sometimes um, feels like it's a little bit too much. So for this, for the Buddha's teachings, and for its complexity and his and its too much nature, there is a solution. The solution sometimes works, sometimes it doesn't. And that mm. is to have a teacher. Mm. It is necessary to have a good friend. Without a good friend, that manual is really not enough. You need to have a good friend. And in uh, the scriptures, the good friend is the Buddha himself, by the way. <laughs> but uh, if you do not have the Buddha, see if you can find someone who's enlightened. And if you cannot find someone who's enlightened, or if you don't believe that you found one, then at least find someone who has memorized a lot of those scriptures. So then they can show you the path uh, that probably will be appropriate for you. Otherwise, uh, it is very easy to get lost in the teachings and not just get lost. Um, You know, it is, if you have a map and you want to go uh, on a road or you want to go on a path, and there are many paths, then that um, there is still possibility that if you go astray, then maybe another path will somehow lead you there where you want to go. But unfortunately, that's not the only thing that happens. Sometimes you go on a path and sometimes you go another path and then maybe you return to the main path. Or maybe through the other path, you go totally a different way and finally you arrive there where you want. But sometimes what happens is that uh, people go backward. <laughs> and sometimes what happens is that people stop on the way. So a good teacher helps you to continue on the path instead of going backward. And that, uh, I think, is very important to always add. When we say the Buddha's teachings is a manual to get free from samsara, it is uh, true. And I believe that it's the best manual available now. But it's the best version. Uh, But uh, you will need a guide who will guide you through that manual. Mm -hmm. Mm, Well said. I agree. Yeah. Thankfully, the time we live in, like I said in the beginning, allows us to be able to find that guide a lot more uh, easy than it would be, say, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. You know, it's a very um, 
very interesting time to be alive because you could easily get sucked into the noise of this, you know, this leviathan of the internet, or you could use it effectively and find people like you and really, um, you know, take this human condition for what it is and, uh, yeah, uh, just really soak in the Dhamma in ways that weren't possible just 30, 40 years ago. It's really, really amazing time to be alive if you're paying attention to yourself. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think we could probably wrap it up at that point. Uh, do you have anywhere where people can find you as a friend? Do you want to plug anything or say you have any last words? Yes, uh, I'm available um, by email. Uh, my email address is uh, M-O-N-K-S-A-R-A-N-A Monksarana at gmail.com. Um, it is uh, easy to contact me. Now I live in the Czech Republic in Prague. I have a little, uh, I have got an opportunity to uh, live in this little house. And uh, I actually welcome anyone who, who wants to meditate. So it's a little meditation center. I teach meditation. I was uh, asked, instructed by my teachers to teach meditation. So I, I teach and uh, it is possible to visit me here and to meditate even with me here if you want to. Mm. So that's available now, possible now in the Czech Republic. Uh, so that's all. So thank you everyone uh, for listening to us. Uh, I would like to thank Gary for uh, having me here. Uh, it's a pleasure uh, for me to uh, to share the Buddha's teachings. According to the Theravada school, it is a merit. It is a good deed if we teach the Buddha's teachings. It's also a good deed if you listen to the Buddha's teachings. Hmm. So you have all collected a lot of good merit. And now you can make use of it to meditate and hopefully be successful. <laughs> may be happy, may be healthy. May you soon attain the eternal bliss of Nibbana. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on here. Thank you for anybody that listened. Wonderful talk. You are a very wise man. I appreciate your knowledge. And yeah, other than that, peace out to everybody. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> Bye.